It is full-blown summer in Montana. Can I hear an amen? I mean, come on. I'm, I'm seeing your Instagrams, your Facebooks. You're on boats. You're on rivers. You're surfing on waves in Montana. Like, we make our own waves in Montana. That's how it works, okay? It is full-on summer in Montana, and I love summer in Montana because here's the deal. Like, especially for those of you who are watching online, like, in the wintertime... It gets dark here at four o'clock, okay? But in the summertime, it stays light until about 10, 10.30. So we go hard in the summers here in Montana, right? And, and so I am no exception to that. Uh, we just uh, got done with a week on Georgetown Lake. Don't tell anybody about it. It's this little secret lake. Uh, don't tell anybody. Um, but it's this beautiful little lake outside of Anaconda. My family and I go there every single summer for about a week. And so we spent just the most amazing week camping on Georgetown Lake, doing stand-up paddle boarding. At one point during the evening, it's like 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night. I'm on a stand-up paddle board. My son has a fly rod in his hand. He is landing a rainbow trout, maybe 18-inch rainbow trout. I'm not kidding you about this. So I'm not over-exaggerating. 18-inch rainbow trout. And I'm like, my heart is full. My heart is full, right? We went down to Peaburg, Phillipsburg, right? We went down there. We went to a ghost town. We got some of the world's greatest candy in Phillipsburg. We went mining and found gemstones. I mean, it was an amazing week. And then we got home, and I did a little bit of fishing guiding with a buddy of mine. He turned uh, 41 this week, and so his wife was wondering if I could take him out this week. And so we went out on Saturday morning, and we got back at about 1 o'clock. He caught some trout. We had some fun. 1 o'clock, I get back, and my wife says to me, hey, some of our friends are going over to Yellowstone. Can we get the raft out? Let's go rafting on Yellowstone. So we go over to the Yellowstone and we float down the Yellowstone. We get off at about eight o'clock last night and I'm like, hey, I should write a sermon now. <laughs> it's a full summer, huh? Maybe you feel like me. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's a little more relaxing summer. Um, but uh, here's what I want to do. I want to open up as we start to think about this parable, this story of Jesus as we continue this series by asking a question about your soul. I love asking these types of questions. So I wanna ask a cultivating question, no matter how busy your week was, if it was as busy or busier than mine, or as quiet as your week was, uh, wherever you were at in the week, here's the cultivating question. How is the soil of your soul today? How is the soil of your soul today? What's going on under the surface? What's going on deeper within your soul? Are you exhausted? Are you excited? Did you just get back from vacation and now you need another vacation? How is the soil? the deep stuff of your soul doing today. I want you and I to take a deep examination of that this morning as we look at this story and as it helps us answer questions about the soil of our souls. We're gonna be in Luke, Luke chapter eight. It's called the parable of the sower. Let's go, eight, one through eight. We'll just take it a little section at a time it starts with this. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him, 
and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out in, by their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town to town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than what was sown. When he had said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I want to remind us what a parable is. A parable is simply this, a story that has a deeper meaning, a deeper lesson for us to learn. And this parable is called the parable of the sower. I think that's aptly named. I mean, the, the parable starts out with a farmer who goes out to his field and what he does is he begins to sow the seed. This would have been a very normal thing for people to talk about. Everyone around Jesus would have known exactly what he was describing was that the farmer would go out. He, he would take a basket or a bag. He would reach into that basket or that bag and he would throw the seed out out into the field. This is not like, okay, I'm talking to my father-in-law and the farmers in Churchill right now. This is not like your GPS John Deere, okay? Very different thing. So he, he would go out there and he would throw the seed out into the field, hoping that it would fall in good places and that it would grow. And so the parable is known as the parable of the sower. But I would like to rewrite the title of this. And here's the fun thing about the Bible is that um, Jesus didn't give us the title of this. And somebody later gave it a title, the parable of the sower. Jesus didn't give us that title. And so somebody later added the parable of the sower. And I'm going to call it instead the parable of the four soils. The parable of the four soils. Because I do think there's a part of this we need to explore about the seed being spread, about the good news of the kingdom of God being spread, about, about God's word going out from the farmer, but I think it has more to do with the soil of our soul about how we respond to that. So let's hop into the meaning of this story. We'll begin with the seed. The seed is the word of God. Even the disciples were wondering why Jesus spoke in parables. So it says this in, in verse nine, his disciples asked him, what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. Let me pause there for a second. He's saying you need to wrestle with these things. The things he's talking about are countercultural. They are hard to understand. You're going to have to work through them. And then he says this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. So, so, the, so the, farmer, the farmer goes out and he, and he shares the seed. He spreads the seed. He throws the seed out. And Jesus would say, well, let me explain this to you. The seed is the word of God. So what is the word of God? Well, primarily for us, it is this book. 
the Bible, God's words to us. I was a youth pastor for a lot of years, and one of the questions that youth love to ask is like, what is God saying to me? I actually had a a young person come up to me uh, this morning after the first service and had some questions for me uh, about what God might be saying in their life. It's a very common question for young people to ask. And one of the responses that I would kind of snarkily say is, well, have you been reading your Bible at all lately? And oftentimes they'd look at me with wide eyes and be like, no. I'd be like, well, you want to hear God speak to you, right? Well, there's a whole book that was written about God's words. There's a whole book that you can go ahead and read and God's words will speak to you in it. This is one of the primary places we hear the words of God. Spouses, imagine that you had a manual for your spouse. Would you read it? Some of you are like, yes, please write it, okay, right? Something that shares the word of God, who God is, how he interacts with his world, stories about people just like us and how God interacts with him. They are filled in this book. And so we get to know this book and we get to know how God speaks to us. That we read this book anticipating that it is going to talk to us. It's going to challenge us. It's going to form us. It's going to shape us. That's the way we approach the word of God. One of my favorite pastors uh, and teachers and authors who passed away a couple years ago, Eugene Peterson, he wrote a book called Eat This Book, and he gave this imagery. He said, he said that, that the Bible is, is like a, a bone and a dog. Stay with me. Stay with him, okay? Because a dog will take a bone, and, and he'll, like, he'll like gnaw on the bone, and then he'll, he'll bring the bone to his owner and go, look at the bone that I have. It's so amazing. And then he'll go dig a hole, and he'll bury the bone, and then he'll know exactly where the bone was buried, and he'll go back to the bone over and over and over and over, and he'll gnaw on that bone, and he'll enjoy that bone, and he will be around that bone all the time. That's how Scripture should be in our lives. We should allow Scripture to read us as much as we read it. Let me say that again. We need to allow scripture to read us just as much as we read it. It is God's primary words to us. So when we see the imagery of the sower sowing the word of God, right? We should be thinking about this. We should also be thinking about some other things. If our foundation is this, we can also think about relationships. With other people who are founded in the word of God, they might be mouthpieces for God as well. Have you been in a conversation where someone said something to you, they challenged you, they convicted you, they encouraged you, and you felt like like somehow God was using them to speak into your life? That's because he was. It's what we're doing right now. Like I'm opening God's word that I might impart something to you that might be useful to you, that the spirit might use in your life to edify you, to challenge you, to help you be more like God. Jesus. So in our conversations, especially with our Christians, we need to listen for the voice of God in our situations, in our circumstances. We need to listen for the voice of God. We'll talk about this in a few minutes. Sometimes we blame our situations. We blame our circumstances instead of listening for the voice of God in the midst of those circumstances and situations. See, the situation you're in right now, the circumstance you're in right now, 
it's not an accident and God didn't go, oops, made a mistake. He doesn't do that, he's God, okay? And so you're there in that place, in that moment, and he has something to say to you. The question would be, are you listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? I'll give you one more uh, idea of where we can hear the voice of God. I I think, once again, Montana, we look around and we see the fingerprints of God in nature. When I'm out floating on the Madison or the Yellowstone, when I'm hiking a mountain, I'm listening for the voice of God. I'm seeing his fingerprints all around me when I stare at the stars and I go, how, how could God place all of those stars into place and yet care about me? God is speaking, am I listening, right? So this is the imagery. The sower, God, is sharing good news with us the goodness of who he is, the words of who he is. He's speaking those over us in various ways and his voice is clear and pure and noble and true and it is indistinguishable. It is absolutely indistinguishable from other voices. Like you, you should be able to hear the voice of God clearly, clearly in the midst of all the other voices. And so this, the seed, is the word of God. Are we listening? And if we're listening, then the question would be this, how are we responding? If the word of God comes into our lives, how do we respond? So I want to look at four responses, okay? And I'm using some names. I'm taking some creative liberties here, okay? And I don't want you to get all offended if you've got a great aunt named Donna and she's amazing. I get it. Awesome, okay? But the first soil is this, deceived Donna, okay? Deceived Donna. I didn't do Deceived Debbie because it's my mother's name, so leave me alone, okay? (laughs) The first soil is Deceived Donna. Here we go. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. So he says this, the meaning of the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and then he says this, those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they will not believe and be saved. He takes away the word from their heart so they may not believe and be saved. So God shares his good words to us and then there are some of us who are, are deceived. We start listening to other voices. Once again, who are you listening to? What voice are you allowing to shape your life? See, there are other voices out there. There are other voices than the voice of the good shepherd. And primarily in John chapter 10, Jesus would explain that he's the good shepherd and the sheep know his voice. But there is another voice. And that voice is the voice of the deceiver, the thief, who comes to kill and steal and destroy, who comes to kill and steal and destroy. These are Jesus' words to us. He's saying there's something else going on that is deeper than you understand, something spiritual beyond what you can see. In fact, Paul, who's one of the first pastors and preachers right after uh, Jesus' time here on earth, he is planting churches, and he's in a place called Ephesus. He writes this little book, this little letter called Ephesians. You can read it in one sitting this afternoon. And in the end of it, Paul takes that idea further, and he says, hey, our battle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against powers and principalities of this dark world. He's saying there are things going on beyond what you see. Now, I'm, listen, I'm not one of those overly, I don't, I don't like over-spiritualized things, okay? I think most of the bad choices you made, you had part in them, uh, the major part in them, okay, right? Like most of the bad choices in my life, let's just say it this way, all the bad choices, guess who is there? Me, ha, <laughs> it's weird, right? Okay, so, so I'm like, I'm, I'm really solid in my thinking on that, but I also want to say, there are things deeper than that going on in this life. Like I was sitting with a buddy and we were sharing about just the world around us and how we feel like thing, things seem fractured. Things, things seem to be boiling. I, like I think in our country, the next two years is gonna be hell. Just to, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. I think it's gonna be really hard, you guys. I think it's gonna be super divisive. I think people are gonna hate each other. I think people are gonna be a little crazy. And we were, we were chatting about this, and I'm like, am I a conspiracy theorist? <laughs> like, eh, 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 yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, but what I started to recognize as I'm looking at this passage is that there is, there is inherent evil, and we need to be careful, really, really, really careful about who we make the enemy. There is an enemy who comes to kill and steal and destroy, and his name is the devil. And that has been his one job from the very, very get-go, is to deceive our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, and he has gone on a tyrant since. And all he wants to do is destroy your life and destroy the church and destroy your family and destroy your marriage. He wants you to hate people. He wants you to turn people into enemies. And if you're bubbling up with hatred and you're like, yeah, but it's good hatred. It's like the kind of hatred that God has. God is love. He's not hatred. So you better check yourself. See, we cannot be deceived in the deceiver. He's so sneaky. He's so sneaky. And he sits at your table and he whispers in your ear the things that you think you want to hear. And they're things of death, not of life. One of my favorite pastors, his name is Louis Giglio. He wrote a book called Don't Let the Enemy Have a Seat at Your Table. I love that. Don't let the enemy have a seat at your table. And here's what he does. He says, if you let other people sit at your table, primarily the devil, you let the devil have a seat at your table, guess what? He's gonna whisper things in your ear. He's gonna be a different voice than Jesus' voice. Jesus' voice is so clear. It's so clear. Like this young person that came up to me this morning was like, hey, I'm wondering if I'm crazy or not. Like, I think God's telling me like I should do some biblical teaching. And I'm like, I think God would tell you to do that. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, I think you should read your Bible more. Yes. I don't think the devil would sit at the table and go, read your Bible more. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I do think Jesus would sit there and go, read my word. Let it enrich your life. Let it make you full. Love your neighbor, even if they're different than you. Love your spouse. Love your kids. Don't be, don't be selfish. Be selfless. But, but the devil would sit here and go, no, 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 this, this life is about you. Be selfish. Nobody's gonna look out for you except for you. 
Well, that's a different voice, right? Whose voice are you allowing at your table? Don't be deceived. Be wise, church. There are voices out there that are not of Jesus. If it doesn't sound like Jesus, if it doesn't smell like Jesus, if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not Jesus. Do not be deceived. Second, the second soil is this. No root rocky. Lots of people wanting me to do a rocky impersonation. Oh, yo, Adrian. Okay, see, it's terrible. I can't even do it. I can't do it. (laughs) I can do the rock. The rock, the great one, the Brahma bull, the people's (laughs) champion. Okay, sorry. I watched some WWF. I I just had, I had a season in life. I repented of it. And now I'm here as your preacher. Okay, goodness. (laughs) No root rocky. Somebody kept going. Luke chapter eight, verse 13. Lively group this morning. It says this, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They have no foundation. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. No root, Rocky. Rocky hears God's word. He's excited about it for a time, but inevitably, difficulty happens. Something happens in their life, and it drives them away. Uh, We have these mountaintop moments in our faith, don't we? How many of you got baptized this year? Raise your hand real high. How many of you got baptized, right? We got a bunch of baptisms, awesome baptisms. I'm so excited for you. One of the things that happens though in baptism sometimes is we have this mountaintop experience and then like we come off of the mountain and it's like, uh, was, was that real? Was that healthy? And, and then it really gets hard when all of a sudden something hard happens, right? Like I just had this amazing moment with Jesus. I got baptized into death, in, out of my death, into life. I'm a new creation in him. And then something hard hits you in the face and you're like, does God really love me? Like everything, everything that happened is now questioned. Does God really care about me? Does God really have a good plan for my life? Because I have no roots. Uh, this is one of my fears. I love camp. I grew up going to camp. I led camps, but we like always do altar calls on like the fourth night, right? Not first night because they're a little too coherent. And fourth night, they're really tired, lots of sugar, Come to Jesus. And they're like, okay, I come to Jesus. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. It feels a little manipulative to me. Okay, right? <laughs> but, but I always had this fear about that as a youth pastor. It's like, hey, what's the follow-up look like? Like, what happens when that kid goes back from camp and gets punched in the face? Like, somebody's mean to them. Somebody bullies them. Somebody speaks poorly to them. Their relationship with their parent is a mess. What happens when life hits them back in the face after that moment? This is a picture of no root rocky. You've, you've understood this. You've, some of you have been this or are in this right now. You're asking this really big question that people have asked for a very long time, which is this. How can a good God allow bad things to happen, especially to good people? Like this has been a very, very lengthy question that humanity has asked. One that has driven so many people away from faith. One of the most famous was C.S. Lewis, 
one of the greatest theologians of his day, but he grew up right in the middle of World War II. And so they had this, all these questions about suffering and pain. And how could a good God allow these horrific things to happen in this world? And it drove so many people away from faith. C.S. Lewis wrote the book called The Problem of Pain. And what, what, he, what he helped us recognize in that book was that we asked these questions like, why God? Why would you allow these things to happen? And we, and we question God's goodness and we lose our roots. We lose our roots because we're not deeply, we're not deeply invested in who God actually is. Like I've said this before, I'll say it again. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. What if the greatest thing God wants to do in your life is through the pain and suffering you're experiencing right now? Will, will you allow yourself to be unrooted? Will you allow yourself to be torn out because you just can't handle the pain and suffering anymore? I'm not belittling the pain. I'm not belittling the suffering. But I'm saying, are you still listening for the voice of God? Am I still listening for the voice of God in the highs and especially in the lows of life? When Job asked, God, why are you doing this? You know what God's response was? Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? Not God's most compassionate moment, okay? Right? And here's the reality. If you got the answer to your suffering and pain, it wouldn't be a good enough answer for you. It wouldn't. Because secretly you think you're a better God than God. And that's part of why God allows suffering and pain in our lives. Don't waste your pain. Don't waste your suffering. Don't be unrooted in these moments where life hits you in the face. The third soil. The third soil is this. Choked out Carla. These are good. All right. Choked out Carla. Sorry, Carla, wherever you are. I apologize. Okay. Verse 14 says this. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look to your neighbor. I want you online to type this into the chat. And I want you to say this. I am Carla. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, I'm serious. I am Carla, okay? A little uncomfortable in the room. I get it. That's uncomfortable laughter. I get it, okay. I am so, so convicted as I looked at this passage and as I looked at my own life and as I looked at your lives and our lives, because I think, I think this passage speaks to us the most right here. So I want, you to, I want you to pay attention. Stay with me. We are a distracted people. We are a fractured people we have a very hard time focusing on one thing at a time. And we have a very hard time listening for the voice of God. And we are being choked out by life, by life's worries, 
by life's pleasures. We are being entertained to death. We are eating and drinking ourselves to death. We are distracting ourselves to death. We are choosing death over life every day. And I see it more and more and more. And it's not just out there. It's in here, you guys. It's in here. It's in here, you guys. I'm convicted of this for me and for you. One of the books that I have just been, oh, this just stuck on me right now. It's called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. He's not a Christian, but it has incredible insights. Fair warning, there's some language in it. My son was like, can I read it? I'm like, not yet, my friend. <laughs> um, so the premise of his book um, is that our focus is being stolen and we're allowing it to be stolen. That we live in one of the most fractured times in history and especially our, your technology, the internet, the, the growth of that ha, has changed things in significant ways and we've just gone with it, okay? I'm gonna sound like old school right now, you guys, okay? I don't, and I don't even care because this book made me like wanna start a commune, okay? I'm taking the goldfish, who's coming with me? We're going to the commune. We're gonna have guns and water. <laughs> I'm coming with you. And I'm like, not you. Okay. <laughs> wasn't looking at you, Daniel. I wasn't looking at you. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Here's what he says. We're living in a world with a breakneck speed. Technology getting faster and faster every day. And we're losing ourselves within it. And that at some point we're going to break. L look right at me. Technology will not break before you do. Do you understand me? How many of you have a small computer on your person right now, in you, on you? How many of you have a, a, yep, a phone, right? You have a phone. That's more than the baptism hands, by the way, okay? A lot, of, a lot of phones up in here, right? In the 1960s, there was coined a phrase and the phrase was just around the birth of computers, and the phrase was a multitasking processing system. It's the first time we ever used the term multitasking, 1960. Before 1960, this was not a phrase we would use. In fact, some of you are like, no, I'm a multitasker, and I would say to you, the science says you're not. You think you are, and we all think you're really bad at all the things you're trying to do. Because you can't. Our brains have been wired the way they've been wired as long as we know. And they will continue to be wired the same way they are wired as far as we can imagine. But do you know what? Technology just keeps advancing and it will keep going beyond our breaking point. Listen to me. Do you wonder why sometimes, I've said this before, I'm gonna keep going on, I'm gonna hammer on this. Do you wonder why you feel broken sometimes after too much scrolling, after too much internet time, after too much technology? Do you wonder why you feel broken? You are not made to scroll somebody's vacation and then some third world country death and then somebody's dog doing tricks. Like, you're, you can't compartmentalize that, you guys. This is leading to mental health, mental illness. I'm telling you right now, 
Stats don't lie. Google doesn't want you to know this. They just want to keep moving faster and faster and faster. And guys, we, we have got to be countercultural in this, church. We have got to be countercultural in this, or we will be swallowed up by it. When was the last time you slowed down, you unplugged, you breathed, you focused on what God really wanted for your life? This is how you're meant to be. This is how you're meant to engage. You're not meant to engage at breakneck speed. You're meant to engage in the rhythms that God gave you, things like Sabbath. These things are so countercultural that you would work six days and take a day of rest and focus on what God would have to say to you for a whole day, that you would revel in that. This is vastly countercultural, and I'm telling you right now, it's going to be more and more and more countercultural. So will you be deceived? Will you be unrooted? Will you be choked out? Or, lastly, will you be the fourth seed? Good heart Greg. You ever met a bad Greg? Let's be honest. I've never, that's why I use the name. I've never met a bad Greg, right? I've got some other names on my list, but Gregory is not one of them. Gregory's always the nice guy, okay? So good heart Greg. Some of you are like, I know Gregory. <laughs> I'll introduce him to you. Okay, no thanks. Luke 8, 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart. A noble and good heart. A heart that's not polluted by the world. I'm gonna give a little commentary there. A heart that is not polluted by the world. A noble and good heart who hears the word, retains it, and by persevering produces a crop. The key word here is persevering. This is hard work, you guys. All of the three that I've explained before, the one thing they all can't do is they can't persevere, right? This last soil, it's cultivated, it's healthy. It has good rhythms and boundaries in life. It's pursuing Jesus in every single aspect, relationships, finances, socially, at work, in thought life, in every aspect. It's not just saying, hey, at Journey, we're all in for Jesus. No, it's actually living all in for Jesus. This is the picture, and it comes through perseverance. Perseverance doesn't come easy. If you want easy, there's other churches. Go check them out. Just saying. I'm just saying. If you want to persevere, if you really want to go all in with Jesus, that's what you're being invited to. And you feel like, that feels like a lot. Really? Jesus dying on the cross feels like a lot, doesn't it? Like he modeled this for us. He went first. That's the point of this. We respond to him because of what he has done for us. He withheld nothing for us. He went all in way before we did. So we just, we just want to pursue that with all that we have. We want to be like good heart Greg, noble and pure, spotless. You, you got to get rid of the filth in your life. You got to try. We play around with our sin. We manage our sin. You need to kill your sin. Run away from your sin. Pursue Jesus. Don't take these things for granted. You have an opportunity that not everyone gets. What will you do? 
And that's the lesson. The lesson is this. It's simple, but not easy. So generously and respond faithfully. So generously and respond faithfully. For those of you who have the seed deep within you, the kingdom of God deep within you, the word of God deep within you, your job is to sow generously. There is no one who is too far from the reach of Jesus. And you need to share with them over and over again until you have no breath in you, the good news of great joy for all the people that Jesus is the God who is with you. He longs to be in relationship with you. He gave himself on a cross for the forgiveness of sins and he's preparing a place for you for eternity with him. We need to sow generously in every conversation, in every interaction, in every moment at work, in every moment at home. What if you took every thought captive? What if you took every action captive? What if you did the deep, hard work of pursuing Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength so generously and then respond faithfully. Respond faithfully. I don't think we've ever arrived. I haven't. If you have, come preach next week. That'd be better, okay? We wake up responding to Jesus every day in faith to the faithful one in service of the one who served, in loving response to the one who loved us first. For some of you, you've never responded to that call. And I would say, why are you waiting? What what could be better? Is this broke down life that you're living worth it? I don't think so. Jesus has much more to offer. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it. Somebody say it with me. To the full. Why would you wait out on a full life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be the seed that responds to you. We want you to grow our faith. God, we know that even our faith is a gift from you. It's incredible. And so we, we thank you. We live in gratitude to you for who you are and what you have done. Jesus, I, I pray that this would take root in our lives, that these words would pierce our hearts. Jesus, that this simple story would, would work deep within the soil of our soul. I pray that throughout this week it would nag at us and would ask us to ask new questions, to ponder new things, to pursue you in a new way. Jesus, I pray for those who have never responded to you in this room and online. Jesus, I pray that they would respond even right now in the stillness of their heart that they would just say yes to you, Jesus. Even if they don't fully understand that, God, if they're stuck and they're broken and they need you, that they would say yes to you. I thank you that you've said yes to them already and that you have a good plan for their life. Jesus, we love you. We respond to you. And we do this in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.